what do you do if you're stuck in a holding pattern? Find out how to hang on to hope and joy and patience when you feel like God has left you all alone. Hey there, it's Karen G. from the communications team. Welcome to our Tower Hill Weekly Podcast. We hope today's message gives you strength in this time of uncertainty. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take another big step in your faith journey. This week, we're listening to our new sermon series, In the Meantime. So let's kick it off to Pastor Jason Tucker right now. Pastor Jason here, getting ready to kick off some worship here this morning. We're so glad to have you. If you're new with us today, welcome. Welcome. I'm so glad that you joined us. And I hope that this isn't just something where you watch passively a bunch of worship things going on, but instead you find a way to truly engage in this moment. So I want to encourage you, wherever you are, if you're sitting on your couch at home, if you're uh, listening in the car, or if you're walking your dog, whatever it is, I want to encourage you to take a little time to get rid of the distractions around you and really dial in because I do believe that God can work, yes, even through our online worship experience. And uh, again, so glad to have you here. Hope you'll check us out, towerhillchurch.org. If you have any questions, feel free to send us an email. We'd love to get you all set up and part of our community. Well, we are in the second part of our uh, new sermon series that we just started last week called In the Meantime. And it feels like we are in this season of in the meantime, right? It's a hurry up and wait. You feel maybe a little bit helpless, like you're stuck. You can't really see the way forward and you definitely can't go back. We've been in this forced waiting time, a holding pattern. And if you've ever been in a holding pattern in an airplane, you know nobody likes a holding pattern. You just want to get to where you want to get to. You don't want to have, have to delay a place where you want to go. You you just want it to go. You want to get there. You want to get to your destination as quickly as possible. And this is true in our lives, and this is true in our spirit. This is true in our goals and dreams. This is true in all of human life. And yet, what do we do in this season? The big overarching question of this series is, what do you do when there's nothing you can do? What does it look like to be faithful? How can it make sure that you're hanging on to faith, hope, and love? How do you make sure that you're hanging on to trusting in Jesus, to having all your goals and dreams ahead of you and not to give up? How do you do that in the meantime, in the waiting time, in the holding pattern? What do you do when there's nothing you can do? One of the things that comes up when we're in these seasons is we start asking a lot of questions about God. Like, is God angry with me? Is God apathetic? towards me or is God just absent none of those options are very good and we wonder you know what's what's going on where is God why won't God show up in the way that I'm hoping for him to do I not have enough faith am I not praying hard enough usually when this happens we really want two affirmations from God right we want to know that God cares that God's not mad at me, he's not apathetic towards me, he's not God at a distance, he's, he's right here with me, he's rooting for me, he's walking alongside, he's protecting me, he's empowering me. That's what we want to know, that God cares. And then the second thing we want to know, is God really here? 
Is God present with me? Because if he is, I can't feel it. And usually this is where we get stuck is when we're in these holding patterns, in the meantime, we feel emotionally disconnected from God. We can't always feel his presence. You probably, maybe you've experienced this or you know somebody who talks like this where like, you know, I just get goosebumps and I know it's the Holy Spirit speaking to me. I get this feeling, I get this moving inside of me and it's like, yeah, I know God is there and I feel so closely God's presence. Maybe you never felt that in your life. You're like, what the heck are you talking about? Like, I have no idea. Or maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about and you're like, when you're in these, in the meantime times, God feels a little bit distant. But maybe, as we talked about last week, maybe it's not that God just wants to fix your circumstances. That's what we want. God, please show up and fix my circumstances. That would be awesome. He just, like, set everything straight. Maybe during this time, this time can be powerful because maybe the miracle is not what you think. Maybe the miracle is the transformation God wants to give you. In the meantime, from the inside out, maybe he wants to give you something to change your heart more than changing your circumstances. Because if you change your heart, you're a different person no matter what your circumstances present. I was thinking about this, though, but what happens, that's one thing to say, like, in this meantime time, we can let God transform us. But what happens when this time's really painful? What if we're literally experiencing pain? during this time physical pain emotional pain spiritual pain what happens then how does that change the waiting time and then how do we reconcile that with who God is who says that he loves us and he he cares for us and he's working all things for the good of those who love him well I don't know Lord it's not looking too good it's not feeling too good what then five years ago almost to the day our contemporary worship st- service had outgrown its home, which was in Webster Hall. Does anybody remember this? When we were over in Webster Hall, we weren't in the sanctuary yet, and we were growing, and lots of new people were coming to the service, and we got to a point where five years ago we had outgrown the space, and we knew that we weren't going to be able to keep growing if we stayed in there. So we had a couple of different options in front of us, and we decided that we would renovate the sanctuary to accommodate both traditional and contemporary worship and this was a huge if anybody was here if you remember during five years ago when we were going through this it was a huge undertaking we had to raise money we had to act quickly because we knew that we were going to miss the growth curve if we waited too long we had to get get it all done in the summer so that when september came everybody could come back and we can keep growing We had to figure out what our plans were going to be. How are we going to engineer it? How are we going to make it work? How do we make it with only a half an hour between services? How are we going to switch the feel? Because we were committed that the traditional service had to feel just as traditional as it did before. It had to look and feel as similar as possible to when we started. But then how do we transform it for the contemporary worship? Because we knew if it didn't feel contemporary enough, people would rebel and be like, let's just go back to Webster Hall. And so during this time, there's a lot of pressure. And I remember day one of construction. They were doing some work here in the sanctuary. We got a a picture of it here. And I remember uh, I got got a text from the builder who is a uh, member and who said, in order to make an omelet, you got to break some eggs. And I took a look at this picture and I about had a heart attack. I'm like, I've ruined Tower Hill. What are we going to do? I've destroyed this beautiful sanctuary. It's my fault. What's going to happen? And 
Thankfully, I, I got over it. But I was feeling so much pressure to, to deliver. I know that it wasn't just all on me, but I know I'd be looked to no matter what the result was going to be. Now, the summer goes by, and it's all these adjustments to the plan and all this work and all this figuring out and all this fundraising and fundraising meetings and, and town hall meetings for the congregation and Q&A sessions and meetings with the session and the vision team and all of this. And, and then came opening day, which was this. This is a picture from the balcony on opening day. It was, at that time, the highest number of people we've ever had for contemporary worship, and it was a huge success. But I don't know if you can see this. I don't know if this shows up well on the TV, but up in the front here is not me. This is Pastor Teresa. Do you want to know why? I was on my back, on my couch, unable to move because I injured my back. What I didn't realize was all of the stress of that time had built up to such a degree that my back completely gave out, locked up. I had issues with two discs. And then I was, for a while, I was unable to move, and eventually a friend, another church member, drove me to physical therapy. And it was a year of physical therapy, just kind of getting back to some normal functionality, and a lot of work, a lot of stretching, a lot of, you know, we did the shots, we did all this other stuff, and now five years later, I wish I could say I was totally healed, but I'm not. I'm mostly healed. I could go about my daily life, but every single day, I have pain. Every single day. Sometimes it's really bad. I can't sleep. Sometimes it's very manageable. But every day I have pain. And sometimes I wonder, God, why are you allowing this? I know that I'm not being punished. I know that God cares. I know all of that. But there's a piece of me that's asking this question. Why hasn't it resolved? No matter what I try, why isn't it going away? Maybe you could relate to that. Maybe you could relate to that feeling that you've prayed for something so much and God just won't take care of it the way that you're hoping. Why? Why does it feel like he's absent? Where is he? Why is he not answering this prayer that would change our lives so much? Why is God allowing this pain to continue? I think it's a question that we all wrestle with. Sometimes. Paul, the apostle, wrestled with this question too. He had a very interesting perspective on this very topic that I want to share with you today. Because I think it helps. It's nuanced. It's a nuanced view. It takes some deep reflection. This isn't just something that's in a nice pretty package. I could give you a very easy answer and you could go on with your life. Oh, okay, I'm fixed. I got it all figured out. This isn't how this topic works. But I still think it works. Paul in 2 Corinthians is talking about his pedigree and how he was, if, if he had anything to gain by not being a Christian, he had the world to gain because he was in the right pedigree, got the right training, he was esteemed in his position. And then he goes on to say this. This is 2 Corinthians. He says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. I wonder who needs to hear that today. 
Maybe you do. I'll say it again. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There's a lot here to unpack, but let's unpack it a little bit. Because I do find Paul's perspective to shed some light on our pain. So let's start with the idea he was given a thorn in his flesh. What does that mean exactly? Well, obviously he means some kind of irritant, something that is causing him pain, but he can't do anything about, no matter how hard he tries. And we don't know exactly what that thorn was for Paul, but there are a lot of educated guesses based on Paul's life that we know from Scripture. Here are some possible candidates that maybe it was uh, an inner emotional pain or an ongoing sin, perhaps. Maybe it was his enemies were the thorn in his side. Maybe a physical ailment, like uh, failing eyesight, was one of the things that comes up. Or maybe even demonic opposition, whether in general or maybe quite specifically to his circumstance. Whatever it was, it was something that God would not remove. He says, I was given this thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. So obviously, somehow, someway, he believed that Satan was directly involved. Evil was directly involved in whatever this attack was for him. And whether he meant, I mean, you could do a little Greek gymnastics with the original language and say, did he mean evil in general? Did he mean Satan? It seems like he meant Satan, that Satan was directly behind this attack that was going on with him. And he says that, you know, for Satan uh, intends to harm Paul because of this. He believes Satan meant him harm by giving him this thorn in the side. And then he goes on to say, well, he didn't just pray about it. It says, I pleaded. Three times I pleaded. And this gives you the sense that this wasn't just like casually coming up in his prayer life. This was something where he really lay face down before the Lord pleading, God, take this thorn away. Maybe you could relate. Maybe you've had those experiences in your life where you're just desperate before the Lord, asking him to intervene, to take this thorn away from your life. And that's what Paul did. It was weighing on him heavily, so much so he kept pleading his case before the Lord to remove it. And then he's reminded of what the Lord says, my power is made perfect in weakness. Now some of us, we hear that, we think, that kind of sounds, I don't know, that's like something Yoda would say, right? (laughs) I don't know, it sounds like some kind of strange wisdom, like a fortune cookie or something. Like I don't really understand what that means. My power is made perfect in weakness. I think uh, my kids and I really enjoy the 2017 remake of Jumanji. Uh, and uh, The Rock is in it, and Kevin Hart. And the, the twist is they're playing inside a Jumanji video game. They become characters in the game. And, and just like a video game, they can see their characters' strengths and weaknesses. And one of the funny parts of the movie that we like to quote in our house is when Kevin Hart's character sees his strengths and weaknesses, and he notices, let's see, my strengths are zoology and weapons valet. My weakness, cake, speed, and strength. 
And he goes, he's like, wait a minute. I hate this game. My weakness is strength. Strength is my weakness. I hate this game. But I wonder if he was on to something accidentally when it comes to our spiritual life. Weakness is strength. Strength is weakness. See, when we operate under our own strength, we don't make ourselves available to the strength of the Lord because we're like, we got this. But in our weakness, we're willing to receive the strength that's way beyond our own. We're willing to lay down whatever pride or ego we might have about whatever the topic is because we're desperate before the Lord. We're like, Lord, I am weak. You need to make me strong. I need your weakness, your transferred, or excuse, I need your strength. I need your transferred strength to cover my weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Again, this isn't kind of a nice, neat package of, of ideas from Scripture that, okay, if I just apply one, two, and three, and I'm all good with the problem of pain in my life. No, it's not that. But I do think it's powerful to consider how might God use my weakness how might God leverage my weakness as an opportunity to live into his strength? How could that transform my life and the lives of people around me? I think it's sort of like a toaster, right? I mean, I could put bread in it all day long, but if I don't plug the thing into the electrical socket, it just stays bread. It doesn't transform. It's the power that transforms it. It's the power that heats it up and turns it into toast. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in my life that does anything anyway. If I'm operating under my own strength, I have no power. I have to be plugged into the power to receive the Lord's strength. There's something going on here that is pivotal and critical in our faith life. When we face pain, when we face the struggle, we need to rely on the Lord's strength, and it can transform us. Notice Paul's language here, too. I was given a thorn. Not, I was beaten down with a thorn. I was tormented with a thorn. I was enslaved by a thorn. I was given a thorn. And this word in Greek is just like it is in English. It's something that's good. It's a gift. He saw this whole thing, the thorn, the pain. He saw it as a gift because God used it. For good. And they're like, well, wait a second. Didn't you just a minute ago, Pastor, and some of you, you're keeping score, right? You're like, wait a minute. Didn't you just say that he thought this was from Satan? Yes. But you see, you see where he's going with this is he thinks, yes, this is something that Satan meant for my harm. But he actually became an unwitting agent in God's plan. Satan meant it for my harm, but God turned the table on that and used it for good. That's what God does. It doesn't mean all of our problems get solved. All of our circumstances get neatly packaged up like the end of a sitcom episode. But it does mean good can be leveraged from the pain. God gave purpose to the pain. And this is how Paul received it. Paul received it as a gift with a purpose and a promise. 
And maybe you think, well, that's just kind of crazy. Maybe Paul was a little off. He might have been. <laughs> maybe Paul was a little out there. Okay. Yes, that is, that is a, a wild perspective. But let's look at Jesus' life too. Remember that moment when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane? Maybe you remember this. Some scripture tells us that, that he was to the point of sweating blood. He was so tormented. He was in agony in this moment because he knew he was going to endure not just the torture and death that was coming, but he was going to endure the shame of the cross, the pain of sin and death, the weight of it all. And remember, in this moment, it's the most vulnerable we ever see Jesus. We find him asking God for help, asking the Father for help. In Luke, Luke's gospel, he says, he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. I think Jesus maybe knew a thing or two about thorns, didn't he? He knew a thing or two about what that felt like. Even more so than Paul. Yeah, a thorn was given to Jesus. He also pleaded that the Father would remove it. And Satan intended harm. Satan thought he was going to win. He was going to put the Son of God to death. He would have victory. Finally, the hope of the world would be destroyed. And then, of course, God turned the table on that one. And God saved us all. The thorns of Jesus, well, they were a gift with a purpose and a promise. I'm not saying this is going to make you feel great about whatever pain that you're going through. But whenever you're ready to ask this question and ready to really consider a deep response. Why is God allowing this pain to continue? Maybe this is the difference between just deciding to live in faith or to live without faith. Because there are some things I don't understand. There's a lot of things I don't understand about what God's doing in my life, about pain, about suffering. I wish I could tell you I knew all the answers. I don't. But I choose to have faith. You know why? God's not let me down yet. Not once. Not ever. God has 100% shown up in my life. Sometimes especially and sometimes because of the pain that I've experienced. I think faith is just simply the decision to trust that God is leveraging pain for a purpose. And I think this is why Paul says what he says when he says, that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses for when I am weak, then I am strong. Whatever pain you're going through during this season, I pray that you would see it through the eyes of faith because maybe what's intended for harm, God's gonna turn around. Maybe that thing that God won't take away is because he's gonna do something good through it. I don't think that's being too Pollyanna-ish. I don't think that's just ignoring the problem of pain. I think it, it really reflects a deep kind of faith, the kind of faith that's way beyond the surface bumper sticker kind of faith, the kind of faith that says, no matter what, I'm gonna trust 
I choose to trust. You know why? Because God's the only one that's ultimately trustworthy. Maybe this will help you to live your faith in the meantime. Amen.